Welcome to In the Oil Patch, presented by Shale Oil and Gas Business Magazine and sponsored by Steer. In the Oil Patch is where together we learn and explore topics that affect us all in oil and gas, business, and in your community. Every week, our host, Kim Bellotto, along with me, Alvin Bailey, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch. Welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. I'm your host, Kim Bellotto, and today we have a great show lined up. But first, we do have to bring on our resident energy expert and associate editor of Shale Oil and Gas Business Magazine, David Blackman. David, welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me. So, David, how are you doing out there in uh, Louisiana? I believe you're at a conference speaking on behalf of Shell Magazine. Yes, I'm here at the uh, Louisiana Oil and Gas Association Conference. Uh, LOGA is uh, one of the two really fantastic trade associations that represent the industry in Louisiana. And uh, I was fortunate enough to get invited to speak this year. I've always uh, wanted to do this event, so I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. Well, we're pretty excited to have you there, and, you know, it seems like uh, we do a lot more traveling these days. Um, I'm covering Sarah Week while you're down there talking on behalf of the magazine. Uh, Saudi Aramco's minister, Amin Nassar, told uh, Sarah Conference that he is not worried about the world reaching peak demand for crude oil anytime soon. He said his company sees very strong demands in emerging economies uh, for decades now to come, which is pretty interesting. And although said he saw the growing demand as non-combustible uses of petroleum products would ensure a healthy market for crude oil for many, many years. First, do you agree with this general outlook from him? And then also, second, um, when he's talking, what does he mean by non-combustible? Because I don't quite understand what that means pertaining to petroleum. Yeah, so let's talk about the, the second question first. Uh, so non-combustible basically means um, uses for petroleum and manufacturing things like plastic, polyester, you know, for clothes, uh, you know, all sorts of, of different things that uh, natural gas and, and uh, petroleum liquids are used as feedstocks for uh, fertilizers. Uh, you can just go on and on. Even in the steel industry, uh, a lot of steel plants use natural gas uh, as part of their processes. So it's uh, there are a lot of different uses for petroleum other than, you know, burning gasoline and automobiles. So that's right. what he was talking about there. Uh, and his general outlook, I think, is, is dead on. Um, you know, we keep hearing <laughs> these these uh, reports. Man, they, they come mainly from the environmental uh, movement that's trying to make the public think that oil and gas is, is uh, about to disappear, uh, talking about how, oh, gosh, all these electric cars and, you know, um, green energy is going to uh, force uh, less and less use of oil products in, in the near future. That's just not really going to happen. They, they never account for uh, the rapid growth in population and the rapid growth in demand for petroleum in emerging economies uh, in Asia, in Africa, in South America, uh, all over the world. People, you know, there are almost 2 billion people on Earth who really don't have access to, to, to real sources of energy. And, and the, the quickest way to, for these emerging economies to, to get their economies up and running is through the use of petroleum products uh, for, for their energy sources. So that's going to continue for, for decades to come. And, and, you know, 50 years from now, we will be using 
the earth will be using at least as much oil and gas as we're using today and probably a lot more. You know, I couldn't agree with you more being there since Monday. It was very hard. As a matter of fact, uh, I can't find anyone who has said that um, these alternative resources or fuels will be what we will be utilizing in the future. Uh, There was a lot of discussion about that there will be use, but even... uh, Rick Perry today, uh, Secretary of Energy, was discussing uh, the the, uh, Paris Climate Accord, and it came out that, look, you know, we all agree that we, you know, need to look at how do we handle better resources and how do we make things better. But at the end of the day, when you look at other countries that need access to clean water or or the quality of life can be extended because of energy and these growing emerging countries, um, there is not an, an alternative fuel solution out there. And so I didn't hear anyone say that we are moving away. And so if uh, if the point is is that the push is perception is reality and we want to push that someday fossil fuels will no longer be used, um, I have some swamp land for sale as well because that's just yeah. not a possibility, right? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> changing um, tune just a little bit, changing gears, I want to talk about um, the election. We had a, our primary here in Texas. Very, very interesting evening. A lot of the discussion was that uh, we were hearing the Democratic Party in Texas was uh, energized or re-energized and that they were going to be um, out in uh, protecting um, this or, you know, basically projecting that they were going to have this blue wave um, or that they're actually going to have it in November. So my question is, first of all, do we do you see a blue wave coming in the fall? And, um, and, and, and can you judge that by what we're seeing in the primaries? Yeah, uh, no, there's not going to be a blue wave this fall. In fact, there wasn't even a blue wave on Tuesday. Um, you know, we had a lot of talk about uh, how Democratic uh, uh, turnout in the early voting was actually exceeding Republican turnout. But the, those reports were uh, based on uh, uh, election numbers coming in from the big cities where Democrats always do well. True. And didn't True. account for all the rural areas where where the Republicans, you know, win run up big margins over Democrats in the state. And on Tuesday, uh, once all the votes were counted, the, the Republicans had fifty uh, percent more turnout than the Democrats did, and that just looks an awful lot like uh, every four years have looked in Texas for the last quarter of a century, and so. We can expect in November that the Republicans will win every statewide race and that, you know, I mean, that's just the way it's going to go. There won't be any blue wave in Texas. It's been going that way since 1994. Um, I want to ask you about Ted Cruz. So um, do you think that Bethel O'Rourke has a chance defeating Ted Cruz? Uh, He's raising a lot of money. um, And so I'm just wondering, (laughs) what do you see happening in November with these two? Yeah, no, and and I don't know, Mr. O'Rourke. He's probably a fine gentleman, and uh, you know, nothing negative about him. Uh, but he's in the wrong party. He's not going to beat Ted Cruz. Uh, Ted will win probably fifty-five to sixty percent of the vote, just like uh, Governor, you know, Abbott will win, and and Lieutenant Governor Patrick will win, and Christy Craddock will win, and it just it's going to go down the ballot, and. Uh, it doesn't matter how much money Beto raises. He's raising a lot of money from out of state, which is typically what Democrats do in Texas in these races. And, uh, you know, Ted Cruz is 
is a very strong uh, incumbent, and uh, it, the race won't be close. Interesting. Were there any real shocks uh, or shocking yeah. things that happened in some of the races? Uh, okay, tell me, which ones shocked you? Yeah, I'll tell you the one that really uh, surprised me the most, not just in terms of who won, but uh, by the margin, was uh, uh, State Senator Craig Estes, the Republican uh, from Wichita Falls area, um, was in a tough race. Pat Fallon, his challenger, was well-funded and was up on television, had a really strong ad campaign, and Senator Estes didn't. And so I think most people were expecting... uh, Fallon to win the race. Um, so that wasn't a surprise. It was just the margin, uh, 62% to 23% uh, for an incumbent senator who's been there a long time. That was uh, that was a real uh, surprise, I think. Um, otherwise, you know, things went pretty much according to form. Uh, Christy Craddock won her primary over Weston Martinez, um, who, you know, Weston had run a, a pretty strong race, an incredible race. And, uh, Again, the margin was not close, which was, I think, a little surprising. And then, you know, the one congressional race, again, uh, most of those went according to form. In fact, really, they all did. But uh, uh, when you look at uh, Will Hurd's race, um, he's going to have some work to do in the fall. Uh, and in in his district, he uh, uh, there were 40,000 votes cast in the Democratic primary and only uh, 29,000 cast in the Republican primary. And uh, so that tells you, I mean, there were, you know, it was a really close primary race mm-hmm. on the Democratic side. Uh, Gina Ortiz Jones ended up getting the most votes. She'll be in a runoff against uh, Rick Trevino uh, in that race. But, uh, but still, when, you know, even so, even though he didn't really have a strong opponent, uh, that many more votes cast in the Democratic primary than in the Republican primary has got to be a, a concern for Representative Hurd in, in what is, as we all know, a very tight district. I agree. He has a tough seat because of, you know, the redistricting. And, of course, if he gets reelected, then we look in, in the future here, in the near future, with issues pertaining to is this going to be a redistrict and go back to the Democratic Party, or is it going to stay Republican? So there's some issues there that I, I really do feel for whoever the candidate is that uh, wins that seat. But I think the, the the point is is that if you feel strongly about politics, David, whether you're a Democrat or a Republican, it's about getting engaged and understanding what the candidates stand for and what really matters to you and your family. Um, and that's really, I think, what uh, is needed now is to figure out, you know, uh, where do we need to go as a state and what do we hold um, near and dear to our hearts of you know, trying to raise our family and, and just, you know, having a great quality of life. Uh, but that is all the time we have. I look forward to next week when we have you back on and you can tell us what happened at the conference over there in Louisiana. But until then, have a safe trip and have a great time over there in Louisiana. I look forward to it. Thank you. And with that, we do have to take a quick break, but we'll be right back. You are listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Join the Women's Energy Network for our biennial charity luncheon as we raise money for organizations that benefit STEM education among promising young girls within Title I HISD schools. The luncheon is taking place Thursday, April 12th at the Omni Westside Hotel, 
doors open at 11 a.m. Houston, we need your support to continue stimulating the work of great nonprofits. This is an opportunity to do good, but also network with high-powered female leaders in energy. Free headshots on site. This is an event that can't be missed, so mark your calendars. For more information and to register online, visit womensenergynetwork.org. Can't wait to see you there. Sponsored by ConocoPhillips, TransCanada, Technip, FMC, Halliburton, Chenier, Wells Fargo, Callan Petroleum, Penwell, Wanta Services, and Sidley Austin. Any business can benefit from advertising to the oil and gas industry, but it's really important to partner with a marketing company that has a proven track record with this growing industry. Shale Oil and Gas Business Magazine is the one-stop shop that'll keep you in front of the customers that you need to grow your business. So let's start growing your business in Texas. Email us, info at shalemag.com. Again, that's info at shale, S-H-A-L-E, mag, M-A-G, dot com. Or you can call us, 210-240-7188. Again, that's 210-240-7188. And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is Congressman Brian Babin of the 36th District. Congressman Babin, welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Thank you. Great to be with you. You know, we have you on the show regularly, and it's just because you're a wonderful congressman. You know, in the past, you have told us that you're running because you really see that uh, we're living in very troubling times. And so uh, I want you to kind of tell the listeners, what is your district, the 36th district, and how long have you been in Washington, D.C.? And, and tell us again why, why you feel it's important to serve uh, in this capacity. Absolutely. I appreciate that, this opportunity, Kim. Uh, yes, I am running for the third, my third term. Uh, we've got uh, a November election uh, coming up at the end of this year. And uh, I'm running for the, really, for the, essentially for the same reasons that I ran back in, the, in, in 2014 uh, when I was elected for the first time. And that is for my grandchildren. I feel like uh, that this country uh, over the last, uh, decade or so has been, uh, going in absolutely the wrong direction. We've had too much government regulation, too high taxes, too much spending, not balancing our budget. We've had weak, uh, foreign policy. We have, we have starved our military down to, uh, it's probably least preparedness in so many decades. Uh, it, it, we've had unsecure borders. Uh, terrorism. We've had a, a refugee uh, program uh, that is goes right along with our open borders. It just, I think, is a great threat uh, to the safety and security of the American people. And uh, I'm expecting my 15th grandchild, and so I'm going to have 15 reasons to run again. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. And, you know, you are right. I mean, if you're a conservative, you're trying to figure out what the heck is going on. Now, if you're anything but a conservative, everything seems normal to you, right? But to conservatives, yeah. it seems like the, the world is going crazy, especially the United States. Well, you know, let's get into um, the president's recent uh, proposal for his fiscal year 2019 budget. Um, let's, let's start unpacking that. He basically released his proposal and it included in it is a whole bunch of good stuff. So let's start with 
what are some of the main things in this proposed budget that is really going to be what you think a good thing for the United States and for the American people? Yes, indeed. I think there's there's some there's some great things in the in the budget. I was very very pleased with the budget. Um, it increases funding for our military. It, it increases funding for our border patrol and the uh, immigration uh, customs and immigration people. ICE. Uh, it continues to demonstrate that keeping Americans safe uh, and the nation secure are the top national priorities of, uh, of President Trump. Uh, you know, I've been working with the president to advance very important infrastructure initiatives. I serve on transportation and infrastructure, as well as space and science. And uh, so this infrastructure uh, uh, plan that the president uh, has come up with is, is of great interest to me. I think uh, it's, it's badly needed in the country. Uh, and this is the first step in the budgeting process. Uh, the House and Senate now have to propose our own budget resolution in the coming weeks. And then also, as the uh, chairman of the uh, space subcommittee in the House of Representatives, I was uh, uh, very pleased that the that the president uh, uh, recommended uh, nearly a twenty uh, trillion dollar, twenty billion dollar uh, budget uh, for our space program because of the uh, the spinoffs from our space program, and, and you know, in terms of uh, national security, of of uh, a race to uh, control the high ground of space. Uh, we cannot afford to allow China, Russia, or any other nation to uh, take our place as the premier uh, space power. And uh, all the things that we've derived from our space program over the, you know, the 50 years that uh, that it's been very been been active, uh, just amazing things and uh, developments in high tech, uh, in in uh, medicine and communications and uh, navigation, on and on and on. Everything from Velcro to GPS, you know, have come out of our space program, and we just take for granted, uh, you know, the, some of the things that we use on a daily basis uh, that that came from our space program. And so, uh, you know, I'm real happy with the budget that we've seen. And certainly, as again, we've got to come up with our own budget in the House and the Senate, uh, and then we have to start minding our P's and Q's. On spending, we must uh, <clears throat> begin to balance our, our budget and and uh, start working towards that. Unfortunately, uh, I will say that uh, I mentioned this earlier in our conversation uh, that the previous president literally just underfunded the uh, the military in such a way that we were woefully uh, neglected and unprepared. Uh, in fact, we have fewer troops in the in the army than we've had since before World War II. We've had lower uh, lower ship numbers now than we've we've seen since uh, before World War One, and um, the Air Force is uh, at the weakest it's been since its uh, creation in 1949. And uh, it is just high time that we start preparing our military because this world is really a dangerous place today with North Korea, the Iranians. Uh, the Chinese and the Russians and ISIS still on the prowl, uh, so it's very, very important that we uh, we make our military second to none. I I couldn't agree with you more, and and it does almost appear as though we were living uh, in another country, if you will. And some of this past administration's views, the way that they, the way that uh, President Obama looked at 
uh, the world and in some capacity it's some kind of a safe place when in all actuality it, it couldn't have been any more dangerous than it than it has ever been and yet we were moving in the wrong direction well he had he had the philosophy that he if we disarmed unilaterally that our, our enemies true uh, would not threaten us and true. it works exactly the opposite, opposite. and that's why 63 million Americans elected Trump and Congressman with that <laughs> Congressman Babin with that we do have to take a quick break you are listening to in the old patch radio show and we'll be right back PISA is the Petroleum Equipment and Services Association who is the unified voice for the energy industry service supply and manufacturing organizations advocating and supporting continued achievements in job creation technological innovation and economic stability PISA provides corporate membership opportunities in two categories, industry and allied. Over the years, a lot of amazing companies have become members of PISA, but don't take my word for it. Click on the directory on their website and see for yourself. In order to become a member of PISA, all you need to do is go to PESA.org, click on the membership tab, and fill out an application. Once again, that's PESA.org. Oil Field Experts is the only place you need to go to locate any part, any time for your automotive or oil field equipment needs. Specializing in hard to find oil field parts for your fleet maintenance needs, Oil Field Experts have been providing parts and accessories to keep your tools turning since 1965. From the auto repair shop to the pump jack, call us to get the right part right now. 210-471-1923. And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is Congressman Brian Babin of the 36th District. Congressman Babin, uh, before the break, we were talking about the proposed budget coming out from the president. And embedded uh, in the proposal is also some infrastructure initiatives, which you are a part of. And so I want to talk a little bit about specifically some of the infrastructure projects. One of the ones that really has caught my attention is uh, you know, if we're going to move into the area of energy dominance, one of the most important key factors as we are doing a lot more exporting of crude and natural gas is our ports. And none other than the Houston Ship Channel and the Port of Corpus Christi, Port of Victoria, there's a few ports that are strategically absolutely necessary to have this happen. And so there was a lot of, of good stuff in this infrastructure uh, initiative and and the ports some of the ports were in that so can you talk to me a little bit about what were some of the uh really important key infrastructure projects that are embedded in this and why that you feel they're important yes ma'am i would certainly be glad to i represent four ports and uh I represent the port of houston port of orange port of beaumont and the port of uh, cedar bio or baytown so you're the port and master. uh <laughs> That's right. And we have got uh, probably as much uh, critical infrastructure when it comes to industry, manufacturing, and transportation as any district in the entire country. I have more petrochemical refining facilities than any district in the country. So important. As I said, the four ports, we've got uh, we've got rails, we have pipe, miles and miles of pipeline, uh, highways, and uh Transportation is just so critical uh, to to our district, and uh, so I couldn't be any more uh, interested in what the president is proposing with this one and a half trillion dollar infrastructure proposal. And uh, you know, I know it sounds here we are with twenty trillion dollars in national debt right now, and he's talking about 
uh, a one and a half trillion dollar infrastructure package. But this is not writing a check out of the Treasury uh, for one and a half trillion. What what uh, the president is proposing, and I I really uh, could not agree more, is a public private partnership uh, for a lot of this infrastructure uh, and uh, government investment uh, that would spark a local. Uh, you know, a free enterprise, private business to join with the, with uh, local governments and with uh, state governments and a federal partnership uh, that would generate this much infrastructure. And in order for us to continue to uh, compete globally in a, in a global market, which is becoming more global every day, um, and you you mentioned it, uh, and I couldn't agree more uh, the. Uh, the critical need for us to be uh, energy independent and uh, have uh, the, the ports available to us to be able to transport in and out uh, of uh, these products, whether it be crude all the way to, to finished, uh, finished products, plastics and what have you, uh, could not be any more important to us. And so uh, some, of, some of the uh, proposals, parts of uh, different projects in, in our uh, this, these infrastructure uh, proposals uh, are are you know just to make us uh, be able to uh, uh, to compete uh, in a global marketplace and win. And uh, I think the president he's a winner. He's used to winning, and he's uh, he ran on the on the campaign uh, platform that uh, we're going to get tired of winning. And he's a good negotiator. Uh, you know, just uh, not too many years ago, we thought we were at peak oil, that it was going to be all over for fossil fuels. And then uh, they didn't uh, they didn't reckon with the, engine, the ingeniousness and the ingenuity of, of Americans. And we came up with uh, fracking and horizontal drilling. And uh, we are now on the verge, if not already there, of energy independence. And uh, I think it's high time that we got back to, uh, to, to being completely energy independent. And uh, so we are now exporting uh, natural gas uh, around the world. Uh, some of our allies are, have been dependent upon Russia uh, for their energy supplies, and we are now supplying uh, these allies with, uh, with our natural gas. And uh, I think it's high time that that happened. Uh, so as the energy epicenter, of, of America, I think the 36th district that I represent uh, is, is it is very critical that we have uh, you know an infrastructure that is going to be modernized, updated, and uh, ready to go in a moment's notice. That is an absolute necessity, and so to see that these infrastructure projects are on there, you know, you it kind of tells me what President Trump is saying is very truthful. If we are going to be energy dominant. We have to look at our infrastructure projects. That's and right. he was right on the money with this one. And uh, and so many more of these uh, infrastructure projects were necessary. So great uh, discussion. We do have to take a quick break, Congressman Babin. But when we return, I want to get on the topic of immigration. Uh, you are listening to In the Old Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. Farmers and ranchers are the hardest working people on earth and deserve a side-by-side vehicle that works just as hard. That's why Yamaha makes the Viking an all-new Viking 6, the world's first true three and six person UTVs assembled in America. Ranked number one in drivetrain durability, 
Viking outworks and outclasses the competition in features, comfort, and off-road capability. For more, visit YamahaViking.com. Most dependable claim based on a 2013 Yamaha Source side-by-side owner study. And we're back. Our guest today is Congressman Brian Babin of the 36th District. Congressman Babin, uh, let's get into the discussion of immigration. You know, there's a lot of discussion. Obviously, it's a pretty heated discussion on uh, both sides if you're for immigration or against immigration. What I do know is it's a huge burden in the way of taxes uh, to the tune of about $116 billion of burden, you know, to have the illegal immigrants here. So let's talk a little bit about that. What is your opinion on the immigration debate, the lottery, uh, the visa lottery, the chain migration? Uh, where are you sitting in, in Congress with this situation? Well, our immigration policies have been broken. We've had open borders. We've had uh, a refusal by not just President Obama, but several other presidents, including some Republicans, that just refuse to uh, to enforce uh, federal immigration law. Look the other way, and, and millions and millions of people have simply walked across the border, uh, come in, or they got uh, visas, and then their visas expired, and they've just disappeared into the, the heartland. And uh, we've had catch and release. It's, been, it's really been just a complete security nightmare, uh, especially in the face of, uh, uh, of terrorism that we've seen, you know, since 9-11. Um, and, and so I absolutely would like to see the end of chain migration because you, uh, you, you'll have one person come in. The next thing you know, you've got 25 or 30 more in, in their family uh, that join them, and we don't really have a clue who they are. We've seen a number of terrorists and terrorist attacks uh, carried out uh, by, by people who have come in with chain migration. We, we've seen the, the diversity uh, lottery visa program, which is uh, just oh, so... that's a doozy. Oh, it's just so <laughs> kooky uh, that we have to be diverse, uh, that someone can uh, draw a, a number and come in because they're from a certain country that we don't seem to uh, have enough of those people in just, to, just for the sake of diversity and political correctness. We've also seen some terrorists uh, come in and commit uh, terrible atrocities uh, that have come in on, under that program. So we need to eliminate that as well. We've just got to get control of our borders. Uh, the president uh, ran on that platform, and he was elected, I believe, uh, because of, of his stance on, uh, on, on border security. Uh, I have uh, been one that has uh, introduced legislation over the last three years to try to stop some of our refugee programs that are just out of control and and really being run by the United Nations uh, and and people coming in from uh, terrorist hotspots uh, and they we we bring them in as refugees. They're on uh, government welfare programs and then we we farm them out around the country. Uh, in, in localities where the local population have little or no say whatsoever uh, and settle some of these people, uh, you know, in the, in the midst, in their midst. And you said it just perfectly. I think you mentioned $116 uh, billion, uh, uh, what it's costing the American taxpayer. I read a report the other day uh, that said it was about $140 billion in cost to the taxpayer, uh, when you add up all of the education, 
uh, health care, uh, law enforcement, uh, 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 jails, uh, uh, all the, 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 the complete cost of, to the taxpayer would be 140 And then they pay. Uh, uh, you, you have to reduce that by the taxes that these uh, immigrants do pay. And that gets you down to about $119 billion. But, hey, uh, 116 is not far from $119 billion. And then we're being told that our economy will tank if we cut off the illegal immigrants. And uh, I, I just absolutely disagree with that. Our, our economy is skewed. Uh, the pay scales are, are way lower than I think it should be. Uh, when we keep hearing uh, a lot of these uh, people say, well, we just can't get Americans to do these types of jobs. Well, you know, if, if, if you'd pay them a decent wage, I think that you could uh, put Americans back to work. We also need to reform our welfare system, our entitlement programs. Uh, we, can't, we have to con discontinue. We've got to stop disincentivization uh, of, of people to work. When we, when we, we pay money to someone, it disincentivizes them from wanting to work. And Americans have always been known as hardworking people, and we've got to we've got to uh, take care of the welfare problem as well and put people back to work. So I'm I'm uh, I'm in favor of securing our borders, of of hiring more uh, uh, border security, uh, you know, and and securing all all the the, the uh, when it comes to immigration, we just have to have a priority. Of public safety, national security, and and prosperity of, of hiring Americans, and we've got to secure our borders, and that must remain a priority before any other action on immigration, whether it be DACA or anything else. Before we do any kind of comprehensive immigration, we must secure the border. We've heard too many times uh, politicians in Washington promise that if we just give amnesty to these several millions of people. Uh, then we'll start enforcing the border, and it's been going on since Ronald Reagan, 1986, and it still hasn't happened. And again, we've got to, we've got to, uh, this visa lottery system and chain migration has to be ended, and American citizens deserve to feel safe. We've got enough problems and enough lives have been taken by illegal criminal aliens, and uh, the sanctuary city problem as well has to be addressed. And uh, if these sanctuary cities and counties and even whole states like California, uh, they, they just need to have their grant money taken away. We shouldn't give any more federal money to any uh, municipal government or state or, or county government that is not enforcing uh, federal immigration law and cooperating with, uh, with the uh, federal authorities on securing our borders. Right. And, you know, this is very reasonable if you're an American citizen. And that's also, you know, um, saying that I don't quite understand, um, and I'd like to get into it after the break, what was the purpose of why DACA uh, individuals never applied for citizenship uh, in the whole time they've been here, 20, 30 years. But Congressman Babin, we do have to take a quick break. When we return, I'll get you to answer that question. You are listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. Have you heard of the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers, the largest state association in the country? 87 years strong serving independents, and it's right here in Texas. Offices in Houston, Austin, and Wichita Falls. Over 3,000 members of all ages like you who are in the oil and gas industry or who have family members and friends who are. 
Company members range from one employee to large independents. Lobbying, networking events, and saving you money. For a membership tailored just to fit your budget, contact Sandy Simon at sandis at texasalliance.org or call 281-997-7223. That's 281-997-7223. Shale Oil & Gas Business Magazine is the one-stop shop that'll keep you in front of the customers that you need to grow your business. So let's start growing your business in Texas. Email us info at shalemag.com. And we're back. Our guest today is Congressman Babin. Congressman Babin, you're with the 36th District, which is near the Houston area. Um, Before the break, we were talking a little bit about immigration, but I want to switch topics and I want to get to the recent shootings in uh, Parkland, Florida. It was tragic, um, just, you know, beyond tragic. Uh, There's just really not any words for the families and the victims and our children. But I want to get your point of view about what is the solution here? Uh, what's happening and, and where do you sit in supporting? Uh, there's a lot of gun control discussion, a lot of violence, a lot of mental illness. Tell me what your thoughts are on the shooting. Absolutely. Uh, what a tragedy. And, and I, I must say that, uh, that there has been really some partisan and shameless, I might add, uh, exploitation of this horrible tragedy that, that occurred uh, in Parkland. And, uh, you know, I think uh, disarmament, taking away innocent citizens, law-abiding citizens' right to keep and bear arms is absolutely contrary to, to what should be done here. And blaming the president, blaming Republicans, blaming the National Rifle Association, uh, rather than the lawlessness, the inability to teach uh, ethics and morals and religion in, in schools, uh, taking away, I think, it's the, I think it's the radical atheist left uh, that has uh, kind of left our, our youth uh, cast adrift and uh, without, a, without a firm Judeo-Christian foundation. And uh, I mean, I, I remember going to school, I'm kind of an older guy, uh, but I, we used to bring we used to bring our guns to school back in the in the 60s, and uh, we would go leave leave our, our our shotguns in the car, and we'd go bird hunting in the afternoon after school. We'd go you know, hunt doves and quail uh, or ducks in the morning, and uh, uh, you know we we had no problems. Nobody was shooting up the schools in those days, uh, and but today we just have we've got a moral problem. And uh, taking away your constitutional rights, you know, if you're if you're under 21, there's some there's some uh, some folks that want to. If you're 18 years or 19 years or 20 years old, you uh, there there are those that want to take away your your right to own a gun. And uh, then at the same time, we expect them to go ahead and serve in the military and 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 uh, and and protect us uh, in places like Afghanistan and around the world. Uh, as servicemen and women, and so we we must preserve our Second Amendment rights. The the thing to do here is to enable uh, law-abiding citizens, and whether you know if the teachers or the administrators, if they don't want to uh, uh, train and carry a gun in, in the school, I, I can understand that. But we must hire 
uh, off-duty police officers, retired military. There, we, we've got to put some security in these schools. And these schools have got to have a plan. They've got to have a contingency plan for, uh, for something like this to, uh, that, that may occur because we're seeing it so often. Uh, and uh, I think it's, it's imperative uh, that we, we take uh, the precautions that are necessary, whether, you know, uh, metal detectors and that kids, uh, these schools are going to have to be locked down. Uh, you can't let just people roam the halls and come on campus. There's only one way uh, to get rid of a bad guy with a gun, and that's a good guy with a gun. So we're going to have to uh, have some armed individuals uh, in these schools. And however we do that, I think that's going to be up maybe to the uh, individual uh, school districts in the states uh, where these, these things are taking place. But I think the main thing you can look at, Kim, is that where the gun control laws are the strictest and most stringent, have the highest murder rates. Uh, look at Chicago. Look at Washington, D.C. Because bad guys have the guns. I mean, it just makes no sense. Bad guys always have guns. So uh, I was talking to a couple of friends of mine from Germany who came to town. And uh, in Germany, of course, they don't allow guns. And there's a lot of refugees there now. Um, and they don't even go out at night anymore because they get raped and they get stabbed to death over there, uh, according to them. A lot of the women have been raped and killed by these refugees. It's just, you, if you do not have a way of protecting yourself, you become the victim, most definitely. Well, Congressman Babin, with that, I, I did want to recognize something before we have to close the show. And that is that you took and were recognized for a very top award from the Family Research Council. Um, and that is because of your important um, conservative values and looking at uh, family values. And so I just, you know, wanted to recognize that you're doing a great job and organizations are recognizing the great job you're doing as a conservative, but you're also a great leader, a great leader for Texas. And uh, we need to keep you in, in DC, in my opinion, and you you keep up the good work out there. Um, and we look forward to having you back on the show here in the near future to kind of give us an update once we get through what does immigration look like, what does the budget look like, and of course, what's going to happen with um, the gun control uh, situation right now at hand. But I did want to thank you for coming on the show and giving us an update of what's happening in uh, Washington, D.C. and coming from the 36th District. Hey, before you leave, tell our listeners if they want to get a hold of you, um, I think you are um, uh currently up for election. If anybody wants to get a hold of you, where can they reach you at? Absolutely. Uh, thank you for bringing that up, and I appreciate you uh, bringing that. Uh, t- I was awarded that by Family Research Council, Tony Perkins himself. I was very proud to get that uh, as a defender of traditional family values and our Judeo-Christian foundation uh, that I just mentioned. Uh, but uh, to, to go on my official uh, website, you go to babin.house. Dot gov, uh, and you can kind of see what we're doing uh, on the official level. Uh, if you want to go on our campaign, then you go to Babin for Congress and go to our Facebook or our website there. Uh, and uh, we, uh, you know, anybody that wants to get in touch with us, you can call us up here at Washington, D.C. at our, uh, at our Washington office. I also have uh, uh, several uh, uh, district offices back in our nine counties that I represent from uh, Southeast Harris or Houston all the way over to the uh, Louisiana state line. Uh, 
uh, nine counties there. So I uh, really appreciate that. I'm very, very, I feel very privileged to represent the 36th district, uh, the 730 or 40,000 people that live in that district. Uh, and you know what? I'm a proud Texan. And I'm even more proud to be representing the great people of the 36th district and and uh, try to, uh, you know, bring the values of uh, rather than bringing inside the beltway of Washington values down to Texas. We're trying to bring those values in Texas up here <laughs> and show people how 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 red blooded Americans live. Exactly. Well, Congressman Babin, thank you again for being a guest on the show. And uh, we'll be looking forward to talking to you here in the near future. Same here, Kim. God bless. Keep up the good work. And that's all the time we have. But be sure to like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash in the oil patch radio show. Or follow us on Twitter at Shell Mag. If you are interested in keeping up with in the oil patch radio show or the latest issue of Shell Magazine, you can do that. It's free. All you have to do is go to www dot shellmag.com again that's s-h-a-l-e-m-a-g.com and sign up for our free newsletter that is going to wrap up another great show we'll see you next week with more exciting news and insightful interviews until then adios in the oil patches where together we learn and explore topics that affect us all in oil and gas business and in your community every week our host kim Bellotto, along with me alvin bailey will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry you'll hear from industry experts elected officials and many more right here on in the oil patch